The 2018 NFL and NCAA season are here and in full swing. If you're still looking for a reputable offshore sportsbook, look no further than MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. As always, all, MyBookie is always doing promotions here, and they are upping the ante even more. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code SGP100 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. If you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., MyBookie is now offering you an extra $25 free play by using promo code SGP25. It does not get better than this on mybookie.ag. We're also brought to you by Oddshark. Get free picks from the supercomputer and expert writing staff, as well as data-driven editorial content that you cannot and will not find anywhere else. Follow them on Twitter at Oddshark and check them out at oddshark.com. Finally, we are brought to you by BetQL. BetQL is the only mobile app that gives you the best chance to beat Vegas, and now NFL lines are available in the app. Easily track line movement, see which team the public is backing, view trending bets of the day, calculate your return, and follow your picks all right on the tip of your fingers on your Apple or iPhone devices. Go to betql.co to download the only app you need to make smarter bets today. Today is Friday, September 14th, and I hope the NFL week one was a very profitable one, as well as all your college football action. This week on the Inside Vegas podcast, we have the one and only Eric Rosenthal. If you're not familiar with Eric, I don't know how you wouldn't be at this point having over, I believe, 75 thousand Twitter followers at one point had more followers than Jose Altuve. Eric is a professional prop player as well as daily fantasy player. He, he provides winning lineups at Roto radar as well as the host of the cover city podcast. Like we found on the national football post along with a ton of other great content that he is doing that we will break into during this interview. Eric's been around for a ton. He's done work on both sides of the counter, done a ton of things in the space. Uh, and he's one of the most informative guests guests. I think that we have really ever, had on the Inside Vegas podcast. I've been trying to get them on forever. I'm so happy that our schedules finally were able to line up and we were able to get together for this interview. We're going to, again, guys, going to the different handicappers and styles for this show in the NFL season. We're going to be looking at the NFL slate through a different lens this week and as well as our consensus best bet that will be a prop bet. So we're going to be looking at the NFL week two slate as uh, from the prop bet market and trying to find some value in the prop market, which is one of the most profitable uh, ways to bet the NFL. Uh, truly, it's kind of where I found my niche within the NFL. As you guys know, I started as a DFS player and I translated that model straight into the NFL props. It's been one of the most profitable things that I do. Uh, and so Eric is kind of lockstep with me there. And at the end, we will release our consensus census best bet that is a prop bet so i hope you guys enjoy eric rosenthal you can find him on twitter at eric sports and now joining me on the inside vegas podcast is somebody i've been trying to have on this show for every listener for a very long time because i think he offers such a unique view into the world of the national football league and specifically prop betting if you have followed me for any amount of time you know that prop betting to me is probably the most uh, my most profitable in a market i feel has such an edge to be had when everyone is you know trying to figure out is six points too many is seven and a half where's your cutoff i think the prop market which kind of goes hand in hand into the dfs world uh, that he has been so 
so popular for as well. Um, and this is Eric Rosenthal. Eric Rosenthal can be found on Twitter as always at Eric Sports, on Instagram at NFL Trash Talkers. Currently has a podcast called Cover City and is also a DFS lineup provider on Roto Radar. Eric has been in the industry for a very long time, man. And um, I just want to get kind of get the introduction out there because I feel like you do so many good things in the space, whether it be the prop market, um, different, you know, basically everywhere um, in the sports gambling DFS um, prop market world, you have kind of had your hand in recently. Um, and so uh, first of all, man, how was your week one? I know we're going to get into everything that is the week one and kind of the week that was a look ahead of week two. And again, prop specific handicapping uh, in, a, in a world that this is you know, probably, I would say, one of the standard bearers, um, which again, goes hand in hand with the DFS and DFS lineup uh, being a provider in that realm. Uh, how was the week that was for you in the NFL, my friend? Week one went really well. Um, everything that I thought should have happened basically happened. Um, that's not going to happen every week. So don't get too excited about my picks, but, um, <laughs> I think things kind of went according to plan week one. There was, you know, a few wonky things, you know, the Rogers injury and his miracle comeback, which was fun. Obviously the, uh, the, the Cleveland, uh, Browns tied with the Steelers and I, I had the Browns winning that game outright. That was one thing that went wrong. But other than that, things kind of went according to plan. Yeah, it was, you know, people, I feel like week one is, is I've said this many times, it's the hardest week uh, for me, especially in the prop market, um, you know, DFS gambling, because people, you know, you have to react to what you saw kind of on the fly. I think that live betting makes a ton of sense in week one. Um, you know, when you have a quarter sample size, that's in theory better than no sample size. Uh, but the week that was in the NFL was, you know, Tampa Bay winning as an outright outright underdog of 11 points, I think was maybe the only huge surprise out there when we look um, kind of around the league. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick going into New Orleans, 48-40 winner in the highest scoring opening week in NFL history. I think that the surprises of the week kind of, it was a little bit of a chalky week, be it, you know, public underdogs, um, maybe some people kind of overvaluing, undervaluing players. If I put you on the spot and said, what was the biggest storyline of week one? What would you say that it was? Uh, I would say it's the Saints just getting lit up 48 points from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I guess I said things went according to plan. I completely avoided that game, <laughs> yeah. uh, except for Alvin Kamara, um, who had a fantastic game, even though I planned them to be leading the whole game and him getting a lot of touches, but um, they were trailing, so they kept giving him the ball, kept throwing it to him. So that was the one crazy outlier, but I happened to just avoid the Saints completely. I avoided the Bucks too, so don't give me too much credit, <laughs> but uh, that was a wild, wild start. Yeah. So again, as I touched on in the um, beginning of the show in your introduction, you have kind of transitioned into um, prop specific and even more so DFS being a lineup provider in the industry. Um, what kind of led you to, uh, I guess, you know, split your time in between DFS and uh, betting within the prop market? How, how did you kind of get your start in the industry and what kind of led you ultimately, uh, much like me, to kind of dive into the prop and DFS portion of sports gambling um, instead of the straight uh, side and total side of things in the uh, National Football League? If I was a betting man, which I'm not, um, I would say that there's probably no, nobody listening to this this show that's played DFS longer than I have. <laughs> I have been playing FanDuel for, I think, 10 years now. Um, I got an email um, from them that was – I've been a member for nine years, and that was a while back, almost a year ago. So I have been playing daily fantasy sports for a long, long time back when there was like only $1 games. Uh, on Fandle. I so, think Yahoo is still on that format, so it hasn't been, not all the industry has evolved. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I, I was part of the, the reason that a lot of the rules that exist are today. Um, I, I had such a high volume for back then. Um, I was, you know, taking basically every possible game that existed in daily fantasy baseball, daily fantasy basketball. 
um, back in the day. So uh, that's how I got into the fantasy. And then props are just a natural, natural part of that. You know, if you're projecting, you know, players to do poorly or, you know, well in, in fantasy, you, there's a direct correlation to the prop market. You, you want to bet on the players you're picking. You want to bet against the players you're fading. Um, it's just a direct correlation. So when I've talked to DFS professionals, the biggest difference that they've outlined for me as to why they kind of chose to go the DFS route instead of more the professional handicapping, um, even, you know, strictly guys, those guys just doing props is they've said that the biggest, you know, the kind of thing that made them go over the edge is there is a cap when you uh, bet a prop, right? So if you bet $500 or $100 or $50 on a prop, you can only win double that essentially, you know, minus 110, 90%, whatever. Um, in DFS, if you really nail a take, uh, you can win, you know, essentially millions and millions of dollars. Um, is that kind of the, uh, you know, was that kind of the point that, um, the driving point that kind of tipped you over the edge to do more DFS stuff than the prop market? So, I mean, that is true for, for many people, especially people who would play a lot of GPPs. I play more cash game lineups um, because I want that consistency week to week of you know expected profit, um, especially with, with how big fields are now. That e- even if you know you're, you're going to have a, a really good team to, to actually win, you know, first prize in a, a two hundred thousand person tournament is just really really hard. And I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you know, even if you have an expected value of of really high in DFS, you know, GPPs, you can still go a whole season or multi seasons in NFL. Um, as a loser with only being, you know, 17 regular season weeks. So, um, uh, that is part of it being able to win a lot more in daily fantasy. But, you know, I, I also think that the prop market is so soft. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll bet a max bet a prop at minus minus one ten. I'll move it to minus minus one twenty. I'll max bet it again, max bet it at minus minus one thirty. max bet it at minus minus one forty. max bet it minus one fifty five. They'll move it to sometimes after that. Um, and I'll just get a lot more down on prop markets because I'm a lot more confident, I think, than most people on them. Completely agree. And that's where I am, too. I think that the prop market is so underutilized, especially by professionals, um, or I'm sorry, especially by recreational, has become more of a um, professional thing. To me, it's just, it is so hard to kind of outline a team, right? It's it's so difficult to think that what I, what 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense was, when you can focus in on one player, be it, you know, fading them and take going on the under or backing them and going on the over, game script is such a big part of this. Um, and so I think that it goes hand in hand. Um, case in point for the first game that I want to kind of shine, shine a light on on this that kind of illustrates this, um, the DFS community was obviously, you know, very big on, um, well, James Conner was probably the, the chalk just because of uh, price reasons. But when you look at Alex Collins at Baltimore, you have a, you know, 40 point, 47 to three total where the running back gets 13 touch or 13 yards. And so to me, it doesn't always go according to plan, but again, would you rather, you know, lay the chalk at minus nine, um, on that on a huge favorite minus 10 in some spots, or would you rather zero in on game script and get a minus minus one ten on a prop bet of uh, Alex Collins? At, I think it was 68 yards. Obviously that one didn't plan out and the minus nine betters obviously are laughing at us to the bank. But I think that game script is such a big part of that, which obviously leads itself. Um, but if you use kind of Vegas's lines against them, I think that the prop market is so, you know, you can able to see things so much more clearly when you have a 10 point favorite, um, you know, obviously you would assume they'd be running out the clock, this and that. It also allows you to hedge yourself. Do you take game script into account, um, you know, more than anything or what's kind of the first, you know, when we talk about this from a, a broad philosophy of kind of picking out guys in DFS or the prop market, uh, what's, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to give people how the sauce is made here, but what's kind of your broad outlook on uh, people trying to get into the prop market or essentially, you know, start playing DFS for a little bit higher stakes and make it a tertiary or secondary income. 
I think it's, it's all about snap counts and opportunity, um, really, and, and injuries. So a great spot would be Alvin Kamara. And we, he had his highest career um, you know, snap share, highest career um, touch share for the running back position. That's because Mark Ingram was suspended. And I think it was very underpriced in daily fantasy, but then also in the prop market, how much he was going to get the ball, how often he was going to get the ball. Obviously, we thought you know the Saints would win, and that game script would be for Kamara to keep getting touches with the lead. Um, obviously, with Ryan Fitzpatrick going crazy, they were they were losing, but it was still 100% Alvin Kamara all the time. So I, I really think injuries and just projected snap and target share are the, the real ways to win in the prop market. And if you can nail opportunities for your players, um, it's not going to always come through. Um, but that's the way to win the prop market is know how often they're going to be targeted, how often they should get the ball um, compared to their teammates and, you know, let whatever happens happen. Yeah, there's so many ways. Again, this is. There's a lot of similarities and a lot of huge differences when you talk about handicapping players versus handicapping teams. I think the pro football focus is a great tool in that it kind of allows you to see, you know, quote unquote rankings, kind of Madden style of, uh, you know, certain things. And scheme is such a big part of this. Um, You know, when we again look to illustrate this, if you've heard myself, Ryan and Sean, every week on the DFS podcast, we've talked about, you know, specific fades over and over and over, you know, fading Detroit with tight ends, fading Oakland. Uh, fading the Giants. And those are statistically spots that, you know, if you continue to use them every single week, and sometimes you have, you know, guys that are severely underpriced just because they don't, you know, traditionally have, you know, a great part of the offense or they don't have, you know, a great talent level. Uh, but again, in the DFS world, um, they're, you know, severely underpriced or in the prop market, their yards are set at, you know, maybe 30, 35 uh, yards. Um, so there's just so many different ways to do this. Um, I don't have to go through position by position, but do you find yourself playing a, a more of one position, uh, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver in the prop market than DFS? Or uh, do you kind of look to um, kind of spread out the wealth when we talk about props versus the DFS side of things? Yeah, I'll, I'll just take any advantage I can. And I think, um, you know, I, I bet a ton of props every week, you know, more than maybe more than I should. Um, but I just think there's so many advantages out there. Uh, you know, a key part of it is like right up to game time, even is following beat reporters. I think that's, Something very that you know, bookmakers are not actively following every beat reporter and looking for every update about potential um, snaps for that game for you know running backs and receivers. Obviously, quarterbacks kind of know the situation ahead of time with them, but you know, following beat reporters and seeing what they're saying is so key because the lines don't change you know very much throughout the week, and when there's an update, the line doesn't change. But really, knowing from the inside. You know, how often a guy's going to get the ball is is gigantic. I mean, it's one of the he- biggest, if not the biggest key uh, to, to winning on the prop market. And the line, like I said, the lines don't change. Now, if you like a team, you like a player, even if you want to, the, in, the inside info you can get from a, a beat reporter isn't going to really make you bet you know, plus seven and a half instead of minus seven and a half because, you know, you think a running back is going to get five extra carries. But in the prop market, it's huge. So I think that the advent of Twitter following every beat reporter in the freaking world who has any inside information is is really key. And that's why I'll spread my bets out between running backs, receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, everything. And it does correlate directly to daily fantasy as well. A hundred percent. And I love that. If again, in a world where insider trading is not only legal, but encouraged, the information uh, to gain an edge in the prop market is certainly out there. It's just a matter of if you're willing to do the work or not to kind of find that. And to me, that's what makes 
the prop market the most lucrative uh, within the National Football League. It really does because if you can, you know, find those inside spots, find those beat writers that have, you know, a pulse of what's going on in the team. To me, it is it is absolutely invaluable. Um, again, when we talk about you know streaming quarterbacks or this or that. You know, you can play your $100 fantasy league with Nancy from accounting, or you can get down on, you know, an Andy Dalton prop, um, you know, streaming quarterbacks against bad teams. Uh, It's, to me, it is by far and away, I cannot stress this enough to me, the most uh, profitable uh, way to bet the National Football League. Again, when the whole world is looking one way, look at a market that's, you know, a niche market that's somewhat untouched. There's not... You know, nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but there's far less people looking at, you know, Joe Mixon over 66 yards uh, than there are people who are looking at the Cincinnati and the Colts line, you know, going from three to one. Um, to me, it's just, it gets you out of that and allow, you know, professionals are, are notorious. The, you, people really don't understand how much professionals play things that are not spread and total related every single time. I would say, you know, five times the volume that I've seen um, coming out on professionals is in the prop market. It's in, you know, specific team totals, uh, first half team totals, all that type of stuff. Um, and it's because the market is a little bit softer. What is, what do you think the market or what, or sorry, what do you think the, the reason is um, that, you know, people, the market is a little bit softer and you're able to have a little bit more success in the prop market uh, than the, uh, against the spread market or total market? So I think there's, there's just so much money on the, the the game market that um you know they're paying a lot more attention the bookmakers are paying so much more attention to those those lines and the spreads because they can't be wrong because you can put fifty thousand dollars you can get a hundred thousand dollars you can get a million dollars in some cases down on the game so the bookmakers cannot be wrong they can afford to be wrong on a prop because um one they're gonna have money on the on the wrong side because just casual fans are gonna bet them but also it just it's not as big of a decision for them so, you know, they maybe lose, you know, 1500 bucks or $2,000 to you in the prop market, but they care much, much more about the 600 grand that's going to swing one way or another on the Monday Night Football game. So I think that's probably the, the main reason. It's just, it's, it could be a big money decision to you personally, but to the book, it's not that big of a deal versus the game is a giant deal to them in the prop market. They'll live either way. Do you find yourself much like me kind of fading the public action, even in the prop market and say, you know, prime time spots, if there's, you know, an Odell Beckham out there, a Julio Jones, even though both of those kind of came over against uh, Ramsey and Beckham or uh, Jones kind of going nuts in the opener. Do you, you know, I much, I kind of like to fade the general public on those type of standalone primetime spots because number one, you know that those prop numbers are inflated. They may not have a, you know, a matchup that is, you know, when you look at X's and O's, um, you know, Beckham had a really hard matchup against um, Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey obviously was still a little bit banged up, um, still went over. So, again, I hate to just kind of pinpoint those two situations. But do you find yourself kind of playing, you know, a little bit of fade the public on the, especially the primetime spots and going under on those, you know, the quote-unquote studs, everyone's eyes are on them because of all the fantasy money and the DFS money and that type of situation as well? Yeah, I mean, that is a, a really good point you made there. And, and something I'll, I'll notice, especially like in a Vegas book, you know, at the, is it, what is it, the Westgate, the Hilton, whatever they call it nowadays, yep, Superbook. Um, you know, I would just wait until the last minute, right until kickoff, because I knew all the money's going to come on the over. Um, I remember there was some Des Bryant prop one time, and, there were, you know, it was like, you know, 73 and a half receiving yards. And I just waited. Now it was 74 and a half. Now it's 76 and a half. Game time, it was like 79 and a half receiving yards. I took the under. Right then, I think he hit like 77. I, I don't know what it was, something like that. And that's going to be the difference between between winning and losing is knowing where the public's going to go and just waiting to the last minute to bet that under when you know the entire you know public is going to bet the 
over on Des Bryant on Monday Night Football. So I think, you know, primetime spots like that. Actually, you mentioned Odell Beckham against Jalen Ramsey. And the average person can look at that and go, okay, Odell Beckham versus Jalen Ramsey. It's a lockdown defender. Take the under on Odell Beckham. But actually, um, I had seen um, some reports that they were going to put Odell Beckham in the slot a lot more. And that Jalen Ramsey had only covered the slot seven on 7% of the snaps in his career. And that the Giants were going to try to get Odell Beckham in the slot over and over to get you know him a favorable matchup. So I actually avoided that under because one, Jalen Ramsey was a little banged up, I heard. But two, I knew that they wouldn't be matched up. And Odell Beckham, I think, had the highest share of slot, um, highest percentage of the times he lined up in the slot in his career um, in this last game. And that's a major reason why he went over in the prop market on catches and yards. Yeah, there's so many different niches like that, right? Like traditionally in the old Arizona offenses, you know, um, Patrick Peterson, the number two receiver against them was doing very, very well because Peterson was locked down on the uh, on the outside and whoever that second receiver was had a ton of daylight. And so that was, you know, whoever it was, was, was kind of constantly going over. Uh, Kiko Alonso is probably the best running or best linebacker in the league in defending the running backs out of the backfield. And so when it's a huge guy, a huge name, I should say, um, you know, the number is inflated. It, you really have to kind of dig in. Again, I, I keep going back to pro football focus, but I think they have a great tool in kind of seeing this type of stuff. Uh, it's all matchup based and it's specific matchups. So what we're trying to do and talk about this in the prop market is instead of handicapping 11 players on defense, 11 players on offense, special teams, game scripts, situationally, schedule, travel, we're zeroing in on one matchup, one wide receiver, one running back against a DB, a linebacker, whatever the case may be. Obviously you can, you know, extrapolate that out a little more broad and you have running backs versus defense, offensive line. Um, but essentially, you know, you can basically bring this down to maybe, you know, one player versus one player, which just to me is such an advantage uh, when you can kind of, you know, figure out the things you said, be, get game script, get B-writers, who's going to get opportunity. Uh, it, to me, it, it's just absolutely invaluable. I mean, again, there's so many different situations of statistically, you know, trends and stuff like that of different situations that you can kind of exploit over and over and over again. Christian McCaffrey's uh, reception prop was set at four this week. David Johnson, again, at four. Um, these are things that you kind of need to, I would say, look into long-term because people kind of forgot. Again, I know this one was was a huge sweat of David Johnson over four, um, but when he was healthy, I mean, he was having games five, six, McCaffrey, reception totals in the seven, eights, and nines. Uh, so at the beginning of the season, lines are a little bit softer. And again, you touched on this, uh, the Des Bryant situation. I remember that game, I believe it was against the Giants. It was a week. I was right there with you uh, just waiting from that exact game. It's so funny you bring that up. But one thing I do want to touch on when we talk about these lines being soft, there is a lot of times that these these props are razor sharp numbers. And when I talk about this, Andy Dalton's receptions or Andy Dalton's completions, I went over 20 and a half. He finished with 21. That line closed, I believe, 21 and a half. What do you think is the reason that linemakers are able to, you know, sometimes, I don't want to say sometimes, but it's a weird thing. We're talking about these being soft, but I think that there are a lot of times these are right on the money. I mean, uh, again, for to set a line at 20 and a half and land at 21 when it closed at 21 and a half is, is unbelievable. And we talk about this stuff all the time. We talk about futures, NBA games over 182 or over 82 baseball games, over 162, all football, always, always uh, come down to the last game. It, it's absolutely incredible. The you know bookmakers in the marketplace being able to nail these um, both in the futures and week to week. Um, what do you think is kind of you know how are bookmakers again? I know we said that it's a little bit soft sometimes, but how are they able to be so razor sharp other times? It's really because there's so much freaking money on the line. You cannot be wrong, and it's unlike any other market where you can be you know political pundit or talk about anything else in the world. And you can go on all day long, go on TV, make predictions, be wrong, and nothing happens to you. 
People can go on ESPN all day, tell you who's going to win this week, who's going to win the World Series, who's going to win the Super Bowl, who's going to win anything. And they can just be wrong, wrong, and wrong again. Skip Bayless can make wrong predictions nonstop, and he still gets paid. If you are wrong as a bookmaker, you will be fired, you will be gone. (laughs) So they have literally the best people in the world making these decisions. Because if you slip up at all, you're wrong for any reason. If there's someone better than you, they'll go hire that person immediately because the results are tracked. Everything is, is known. There's winners and losers. Unlike, um, you know, an average person going on TV or the internet predicting things. So the reason they're so good is because there's so much money on the line. Cause I have the best people, you know, some of the best people in the world making these decisions. Yeah, for sure, man. I want to bring this around. Let's talk about NFL week one in the week that was uh, both in the prop and the DFS market. And again, we can kind of shine a light on some stuff that just illustrates this um, in the prop market as well as uh, in the DFS market, because there's obviously a direct correlation there. And we're not going to touch on every game, but just ones that kind of illustrate the points that we were making. Um, the first one I want to touch on is, oh, I guess I already touched on the Collins one, obviously not getting there. But let's um, let's zero in on the, it was kind of a big prop decision. The um, Let's go with the Bengals and the Colts game. Um, for everyone that was kind of so excited to see Andrew Luck back came out of the gates hot Cincinnati has kind of notoriously been a kind of a first half team uh, much like the Chargers in the past where they have been able to they they essentially script uh, their first basically for their first half and they're just so bad at making adjustments so Cincinnati historically has been something of a first half first quarter uh, bet better than a full game bet Uh, the flip was the script was flipped on this side however as Andy Dalton let it come back um, against Andrew Luck and again this was something that we targeted uh, in the fantasy realm and as well as in the prop market with both Andy Dalton over uh, over completions and Joe Mixon over uh, rushing yards Andrew Luck obviously going over his passing yards at 319 as well this game was built to kind of have a ton of offense obviously I'm um, going over the total and everything like that is what was kind of um, the thought process because I know that you were kind of out um, on the same page as I was um, on Dalton as well um, just speak to kind of you know what led you to those decisions as well I believe you were on um, Dalton DFS right yeah we, t- we talked about Dalton on a podcast together um, before the weekend, we were both, you know, we're really on, on Andy Dalton because the Colts secondary is just trash. Um, you know, that's that's a kind of way to put it. <laughs> and it's, I don't love Andy Dalton. I don't think he's an elite talent by any stretch. But it's all about matchups, and, and the Colts have a, a terrible, you know, terrible secondary. And you know, Andy Dalton was going to have have a good game, and he did. Um, I think he could have had a better game. Um, I really expected more than you know, two hundred forty three yards, two touchdowns, but. You know, I'll, I'll take that from Andy Dalton at, at the price he is and where the props were. He, he went over on completions. He went over on touchdowns. So, you know, it, the, the decision, the thought process worked out, um, even though the numbers I hoped for weren't there. He still still went over. Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you next is is the, the line movement when we talk about props, because in one way we're saying this off the, the other light, we're saying they're razor sharp. So I get the I, know, I can hear it, hear it now of the well, which is it? They do move, and the money coming in the people place, and those are very professional and very real. Um, do you have kind of a a number in mind that you're okay taking? And if it's two to three yards um, or receptions or catches over that, are you um, more inclined to walk away, or are you you know more like me? And I say I I don't have a specific number in mind. Obviously, I kind of lucked out on the Dalton one there, but truth be told, if it was if I when I, I got it at open. When I looked, if it was twenty-one and a half, I still would have taken it. Um, is there a number in mind that you just kind of put a line in the sand and say I will not go over that, or do you have give yourself a little bit of wiggle room? So it's the number where I think there's no more value. So a lot of times I'll make my predictions almost always uh, blindly without seeing the props because I don't want to be influenced um, by them. 
I want to set what I believe is a fair number um, for each player. And then if the over or under um, is too high or too low based on my number, I will bet it and I will bet it again and I will bet it again. And I will bet it again until it's too close for me to have an edge. Yeah. Um, so, so really it's, it's not about the line move as much. It's um, what I think is a fair number and I will bet it until that number is no longer exploitable. I love that. Over right. and over and over I again if I have to. Yep. Rebut, re-bet functionality is a very real thing. Let's go to probably your, your best take of the week, and that was James Conner. Obviously, his props set out, I believe it was 72 uh, in, in the DFS world. I know that you were all over this take, and again, it, it's very easy to sit here and say, well, from a DFS perspective, he's going to get the Lev Bell uh, treatment. He is you know, so much cheaper priced as a backup. Le'Veon Bell is not there. To me, this one, I'm getting in the prop market. You have an offensive line coming out and essentially saying that they're so you know upset over the Le'Veon Bell situation. James Conner is a, is a stud. You think there is any way in the world that the offensive line wasn't going to play their heart out for that kid, a homegrown kid in Pittsburgh uh, who defeated cancer um, in his collegiate years? Um, so just touch on that situation a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And a big you know a big couple things is one is Le'Veon Bell's you know backup in their career. Um, they've got basically the same numbers as he does. I think it's like you know. 10 less yards, um, but more touchdowns, a few less receptions. But, you know, his backup when it was mainly D'Angelo Williams or whoever else, they they have big games. And it's also about sh- the share of carries. I believe James Conner, and, you know, please don't yell at me on Twitter if I was one, you know, one playoff, <laughs> got like 100% of the carries in the backfield for the Steelers. And that's what it was really about. It's about, you know, how often he's going to get the ball, which is nonstop. Um, I did like the narrative. Of course, with the you know the Steelers wanting him to do well, obviously because of Le'Veon Bell, the offensive line wanting to play hard. I was a big fan of his in college, but it was really about him getting the ball nonstop, which he did. Um, got a hundred percent of the carries. They should have he should have got the ball more um, because the Steelers they were up twenty one seven. They should have kind of ran away with that game, kept handing it off to him going down the field. Obviously, you know went to overtime. That didn't happen, but I really like the over. For him, just because how often he was going to get the ball, and you just—if he does good or bad, his projected yards per carry can be off by a couple. But if you know you know how many touches he's going to get, you're going to win that over bet, you know, eighty-five percent of the time. And you know, obviously, that's what happened. Do you find yourself playing more overs or unders? I bet more that season long. I definitely bet unders. There's no question about it because a lot of times injuries are just not factored in well enough. Um, if I set a line, a fair line, just I'm making this up, but set fair lines, 80 catches for a guy. And, um, if he's healthy each game and the lines at 80, well, you have a big advantage because if he plays exactly, if he plays all 16 games, he misses any games. You're in, in a, you know, really, really good situation. So I'm um, all season long. I'll definitely take the under on, on, you know, most props. I have to really love something to bet the over on, on a season long prop, because I know I can just get it week one, week two. Um, you know, I, I can bet them in those situations. So season long, it's very strong on the unders um, games. Honestly, I probably bet more overs than anything, um, which would probably shock people because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in general, if you bet blindly every over under on the prop market, you're going to do better off on the unders. But I, I'm better able to find situations where certain players are going to get the ball. I just keep repeating it, but they're going to get the ball in, in NFL, you know, way more often than they usually will. Um, it's easier to find than 
you know, which guy is not going to get the ball as much as he normally would, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, people have this connotation that playing overs is square and the prop market and the total, whatever the case may be. You got to remember, this is, you know, essentially what we're creating in the way that we're handicapping this is, you know, something of a, of a model. We're, we're predicting success more than failure most of the time, unless it's, you know, certain situations on the defense. Uh, and that leads to obviously going over in the prop market on specific players because we're looking to exploit a good matchup, which obviously is going to lead towards the over. Um, there's just more good matchups, I would say, you know, that are targeted because you're trying to gain um, the most points, especially going back to DFS. It sounds simple, right? Um, so you target the bad matchups. Uh, you can also bet those in the prop market. Obviously, just it's a direct correlation. You're going over the prop market and starting the same player uh, in daily fantasy. So despite the connotation that, you know, you know, professionals only bet, you know, unders and props and fade all the, the noise and stuff. It's actually a little bit of the opposite. The most, the, um, the models will, you know, they're in place to predict success kind of more than failure in certain situations, because again, going back to DFS, um, that's the whole runaround. What is, um, I want to let you kind of have the floor and shine a spotlight on a game, um, the prop market of either something you bet or DFS, um, that just kind of illustrates it. And we'll do one more of just kind of shining a light on a specific thought process, um, being on a player, uh, either over or under, uh, this past week in the prop market. Um, this past week, who else was I on? Um, Keenum, right? Uh, Case Keenum. Um, yeah, he, you know, had a great matchup. Um, I have to actually give a little bit of credit um, to Zach Harvey. Uh, he's the one who turned me on to the Keenum market in the DFS world. And once I looked at him in the DFS world, I started to like him a lot in the prop world. And obviously he put up, I think, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Um, he threw three picks too, but I don't care about that. <laughs> uh, when you're betting on the over, over on the props, he threw the ball like 40 times against Seattle, um, you know, Initially, I wasn't thinking about Case Keenum at all, um, but with how bad that Seahawks new defense is um, overall, they just lost so many players. Um, you know, they haven't played together, obviously, and they had injuries as well in the defensive secondary. Um, so I, I was turned on to Case Keenum, really dove into the numbers and you know threw the ball, like I said, 40 times and put up you know, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. You can exploit situations like that, even though he's not a, a great quarterback. Um over was the clear right bet, and I'm glad uh, Harvey turned me on to him. Completely, man. Completely, man. Is there anything on the week one uh, slate you want to touch on um, before we look into the week two um, from a DFS or prop perspective? I think we kind of touched on everything that's kind of relevant. Um, maybe Pat Mahomes, um, you know, absolutely going bonkers. Tyreek Hill. Um, I guess my question with that is when we have guys that kind of break out kind of out of nowhere, um, Obviously, there's players that come out out of nowhere, you know, quote unquote, out of nowhere every single week. Do you look to fade the noise and fade the hype the next week? To me, I've always been a big proponent of kind of, you know, at the end of the day, the yardage situations in the NFL are going to all be within, you know, for good players, uh, 900 to maybe 1400 on the high end, be it rushing or receiving. And so if a player puts up, you know, 150 yards every single week, When's the last time you saw, you know, maybe there's one every couple of years in the 2000 range. It's just so hard to repeat success in the NFL. I never like to kind of play the same player in back-to-back -back weeks. Um, again, maybe that's just a philosophy thing. I just think that, number one, the props are, are a little bit inflated. The price goes up on DFS providers. Um, do you look to kind of fade that or do you like to kind of, you know, take the opposite stance and that they're building momentum, they're breaking out? Uh, what's your kind of stance on when people are coming off huge games like a Tyreek Hill or a Patrick Mahomes? I'm Mr. Regression to the mean. Uh, you'll hear me say that all the time. I strongly believe in regression to the mean. Um, Tyreek Hill is one of the guys. I, I thought his touchdown rate can't keep up. I actually didn't fade him in week one because the Star Chargers were starting three rookies on defense. No Joey Bosa. 
Um, I really liked the over in that game. I think I texted, I asked somebody like, how, how hard did you hammer the chiefs chargers over? He's like, should I be doing that? (laughs) You should. Um, uh, so I didn't, didn't bet against, uh, Tyreek Hill because of that reason, but I I do believe in regression to the mean strongly. Um, yeah, I think things are really matchup based. So take Andy Dalton against the Colts defense this week. I liked it because of the matchup next week. If he plays, you know, the bears defense or just, you know, somebody really good. I'm not going to be like, well, he had a good game last week, so it's going to continue. It's all matchup based. Um, you know, players don't get, people are going to take this out of context, but players don't get better week to week. Like they are who they are basically. Um, and it really doesn't make sense to go, okay, just cause he had two touchdowns last week, he's going to do it again this week. It's about situation. What are the injuries? Who is he going against? What's going to be the game plan, the game script, everything that you mentioned earlier. So I just don't think at all that you should just look at what the results were last week and, and apply it to the next game. It's like baseball too. You know, people go, well, you hit a home run last night. Well, yesterday he was facing, you know, a left-handed pitcher with a 6.2 ERA. Today he's facing Max Scherzer. So I don't want to bet on him to do well today. You know, it's, it's all about matchups. Completely. And it's one of those things, the big difference, the biggest difference in the prop market and the DFS world is you don't, touchdowns don't really mean anything uh, in the prop market. Aside, of course, if you're playing, you know, will they or won't they score a touchdown in their first touchdown of the game or whatever that specific prop is. When we talk about yards and stuff like that, you know, a player like, um, uh, I don't know, Tyler Croft and Eifert on the Bengals, somebody who's hugely touchdown dependent, a huge red zone target, um, maybe you know, people kind of overvalue those situations in the prop market. You know, David Njoku was another one. Um, I think that that's kind of the biggest difference, but I am right there with you in the kind of regression towards the mean. Um, it's again, it's just if a player scores three touchdowns like Tyreek Hill, he's not going to score 21 touchdowns. It's impossible. Things have to, be, you know, kind of come back uh, to the mean. And that's kind of the same exact thought process that I've had. But let's look ahead to the week two. We'll shine a light on uh, three games out there in the prop market. Again, obviously, we're recording this very early in the week, so exact numbers are not going to be out there. Um, but we're going to give you um, places to start kind of when we're looking at this. Um, we'll do three games, and then myself and Eric will release our consensus best bet. Obviously, uh, cashing in last week with Spread Investor on the Bengals plus three. Told you to take the plus 135 outright. So happy that the Inside Vegas podcast is off to a great start there. Um, before we do that, though, as always, the Inside Vegas podcast and the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is brought to you by mybookie.ag mybookie.ag is the official online sports book of the whole squash gambling podcast network as well as the inside vegas podcast play win and get paid we are also brought to you by odd shark get data-driven editorial content as well as the latest odds for every big game and big fight from all major online sports books and casinos and lastly betting trends and trend betting stats and trends that you won't find anywhere else lastly we're brought to you by betql betql is the only mobile app that gives you the best chance to beat vegas and now nfl lines are available on the app track easy affordable line movement throughout the NFL, see where the public's going, and of course, fade the public. Go to betql.co to download the app today. All right, man, so let's talk about this NFL week two. Um, Certain situations out there, again, do we want to, we're going to look to um, react, but not overreact, I think is kind of the biggest takeaway when we talk about week two to week one. There is nothing more than I kind of loathe in the industry, be it podcast, be it, you know, ESPN specifically. Um, then the overreaction. I mean, Trent Dilfer saying the Patriots are not good anymore kind of sticks out of the top. What is going to be the biggest storyline of week two that is going to be end up looking like an overreaction of week one? I'm going to put you on the spot again. Is it the Saints are not good? Is it um, Fitzpatrick is a quarterback controversy? What's going to be the, what is the biggest takeaway that's going to be an overreaction from week one, do you think? 
I think it's going to be, should Ryan Fitzpatrick beat the new starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think that's going to go away relatively quickly. Uh, people are all on the hype train because he lit up the New Orleans Saints. They got lit up in their home opener last year. They got lit up in their home opener the year before that. I'm pretty sure they got lit up on that. Four straight home, home four straight open, uh, home openers they have lost. Yeah, and you know I, I remember Sam Bradford going crazy in New Orleans in their home opener, and you know, you know, we saw how Sam Bradford played uh, this week one. So I think that'll probably be the biggest overreaction uh, for sure. And then uh, go ahead, let's let's talk about you know one of these games because I, I want to dive into a few of these players, a, a few of these you know props for sure. All right, let's talk about let's go to uh, the Chargers game this week. Obviously, no Bosa. I, I I didn't bet this game at all. I leaned um, the Chargers, and I, I almost did play it. And again, Mahomes going nuts. Tyreek Hill looking like the fastest player to ever play. I mean, Mahomes, 15 completions, 256 yards, four touchdowns. Hill, seven for 169 and two touchdowns. They didn't even really need a running game. Again, on the other side, I mean, Rivers, 400 yards, three touchdowns, 424. Keenan Allen. Prop was set at five and a half. Uh, hauled in eight catches for 108 yards. Um, again, we're going to touch on this um, from the prop perspective. We look at Buffalo and the Chargers. Uh, Chargers are a seven-point favorite. Set at total set at 42 and a half. I was on kind of fading Buffalo last season. Was allowed the most points to the running back um, opposing running backs. I was all over um, you know positive game script. Every sign in the world pointing to playing all the props over on Alex Collins. Yet. With a 43-7 win, he got, I believe, 12, 13, 18 yards, something like that. Um, so tell me why we should go back to the well or fade them uh, with the Chargers and specifically Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I, I do like Melvin Gordon a lot this week. Uh, last week, his numbers were depressed. He only had 64 yards rushing. Um, and I'm talking about the rushing market. His receiving yards had over 100 with nine catches. And so the touches were there in week one for Melvin Gordon. But in game script, put them behind. They had to throw a lot. Um, so he had you know 24 touches total for 166 yards. but only 64 were receiving. And I think in week two with a positive game script, obviously against the Ravens, we saw what happened last week with only a seven point spread. We can't project, you know, a complete blowout again. So it's going to be closer than it was last week against the bills, but the Chargers should be running a lot. Melvin Gordon's going to get his touches, um, expect about you know 20 carries for him. And if he's going to get 20 carries against this bill's defense his you know, rushing total is going to be, you know, 90 plus and his, you know, prop is going to be below that. So I expect, you know, 90 yards, 100 yards or more at a Melvin Gordon. So that's probably, you know, one of my favorite props is Melvin Gordon over in the rushing market this week. Completely agree. And again, it's one of those things that game script is, is somewhat, you know, is such a huge part of this. When we talk about it, I mean, Alex Collins had the, the, the best game script. And if you put yourself in situations where you have that positive game script, again, the Chargers, when I talk about going over Keenan Allen five and a half last, uh, last week, the Chargers were behind from essentially the first drive. Um, so it put Keenan Allen in a great spot. The same thing with David Johnson over catches. Um, and this, I think that this one should be a little bit, um, you know, Melvin Gordon's, you know, statistically is never incredibly efficient. It's just, he's the only horse there and the opportunities there. Uh, he's the only guy in the backfield. Um, so I think that that's an absolutely great look there. Let's go to uh, the next game. What we will shine a light on is Houston. Everyone uh, saw New England yet again. Uh, now New England, historically the last three years covering the spread about 76% of the time. Houston goes to Tennessee. This game is currently off the board while Tennessee kind of figures out who's going to start, if it's going to be Blaine Gabbert, if it's going to be Marcus Mariota. Houston, obviously, off the loss to New England. Tennessee, I mean, uh, is there anyone they didn't lose? Losing uh, um, 
Delaney Walker, losing Marcus Mariota. Corey Davis looks like the only show in town there uh, from the wide receiver perspective there. But you're looking to go the other way. Tell me why people should kind of look, uh, you know, when everyone's looking one way at Chalk, um, maybe it's an opportunity the next week to look for a rebound uh, in DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I'm, I'm going back to well with DeAndre Hopkins. His, you know, he had a solid game, eight receptions for 78 yards, but no touchdown. I expect that touchdown prop to change this week when I think he'll score one. Uh, without Will Fuller in the game, you know, he gets a huge percentage of the targets, a huge percentage of the opportunities to catch the ball. I think he had, um, you know, multiple opportunities inside the 10-yard line to, to catch it. And, you know, Deshaun Watson missed them both times. You know, obviously the Patriots uh, know how to shut down opposing number one guys. And, you know, they, they did a really good job on DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins in week one. I don't expect Tennessee to do the same. Um, that team is, you know, struggling all over the place. And I think Houston's going to, um, you know, win this game pretty easily. So I know the line's not up, but, you know, without Mariota, even if, even if he plays, you know, both offensive tackles are hurt. Delaney Walker's out. Um, I really like Houston in this game, and I really like DeAndre Hopkins to have a huge game receiving. Yeah, Tennessee is, is there any, you know, maybe, I'm just trying to think, is there any team that their stock has gone down more uh, than Tennessee? Do you think, again, I know the line's not out, but from a season-long kind of outlook perspective uh is there any team that you think had a worse week one in the nfl than the tennessee titans no a lot of people were thinking it was all the you know offensive system fault in tennessee and after one week of Mariota and the new system it's like i don't know is Mariota just is he just not that good um is, are the two quarterbacks taken in that draft winston and Mariota, just not that good i lean towards that being the case um it's the opposite end of the spectrum on the character part. You know, Winston uh, is a great athletic talent, but he just just not very smart. Um, obviously, getting himself suspended for the first three games of the season, he's constantly in trouble, and he's maybe not smart enough to be an elite NFL quarterback. And Mariota is an amazing guy, but maybe he just doesn't have the talent to to be an elite NFL quarterback. So, you know, Tennessee's got the injuries. It looks like maybe their quarterback situation is not you know what they would have hoped. Uh, it could be Blaine Gabbert playing, and that's just a dis- disaster. But even if it is Mariota, he's you know not what people had hoped. So yeah, Tennessee is probably you know the their stock's gone down the most out of anybody. And I know we I said regression to the mean, but I think this is just going to be regression. Yeah, completely agree. Maybe you could argue maybe Arizona again. I've I've talked about how I believe Dak Prescott will be out of the league in, in two to three years, and I really I don't th- I think the, his offensive line is now showing that he's going to have to make plays, and he has no weapons. Uh, and again, we, we can dive into the Jason Garrett situation, but to me, uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think Winston, Mariota, um, I don't think either of them are, are very good. Winston, obviously, from a talent perspective, um, much more physically gifted. Um, and again, Mariota showed flashes, but... It, it may be a long season uh, in Tennessee, despite, you know, always somewhat being a, a public darling and getting rid of um, Mark, or Mike Malarkey. All right, man, last game of the week, and this is where we're going to go to our consensus best bet in the prop market. Let's talk about San Francisco and Detroit. You have the floor. So George Kittle, this is my favorite tight end in fantasy football uh, for his value. Obviously, I'm not saying take him over Rob Gronkowski, <laughs> but, um, you know, he had 80, he played 80% of the 49er snaps in the first week. He led the team in targets with nine. And um, the only guy who had a, a higher, you know, average depth on his routes for tight ends was Rob Gronkowski. Um, George Kittle was number two on that. And he had five catches for 90 yards. Garoppolo missed them multiple times. 
They're playing the Vikings on the road who have an elite defense. So everything was working against them. Like I said, Garoppolo missed them multiple times. In week two, he has a much better matchup, much better situation. Uh, Garoppolo is going to have a better game. You know, probably won't miss wide open throws that he did. And there's also going to be more open throws against this Detroit defense than there was against the Minnesota Vikings. So I love George Kittle. I love him to score a touchdown. I love him daily fantasy. I love his receptions over. I love his yards over. I love everything about George Kittle over, over, and over this week. It's my lock. It's going to happen. <laughs> I, I love the confidence. That will be our consensus. Best bet in the prop market for NFL Week 2. Again, all of those props can be found at mybookie.ag. Um, that was That's going to kind of wrap it up, man. Is there anything um, anything else for Week 2, um, either Week 1, uh, uh, kind of rear view, anything you want to talk about Week 1 to look ahead to Week 2? Um, anything of note, again, in the prop market, people looking to start out in there, uh, or DFS as a whole you want to touch on before we get out of here? Here's what I want to mention. Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. That guy, the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. I know. Doubt. We, we've had this conversation off air, and did you see what Brady, what came out today, what Brady said, uh, talking about Aaron Rodgers? I did, and that's that was the point I was making before I even knew Tom Brady said that. So if you want to give out what, what Brady said, I think people might be interested. He said if Aaron Rodgers had essentially the Patriots system and the institutional knowledge of opposing defenses around the NFL, he would throw for 7,000 yards every year in the NFL. He is, quote, so much more talented than I am. Oh, man. As, as a Patriots, you know, a guy growing up in Boston, living there for 26 years before I moved to Vegas, man, that that is hard to hear. But let me ask you. Would how do you even want to word this? You you believe Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game? Tell me why. He puts up he is the best you know, the best stats in the history of the NFL. Um, first of all, and best touchdown to interception rate by like the craziest margin. I don't even have it in front of me, but yep. he's so far ahead of Tom Brady, it's it's like a joke. Um, he just he's the best person at playing the position of quarterback that's ever lived. Now he doesn't have the best resume doesn't have the best accolades with Super Bowls. It's just no question about it because it's a team game. We talked about the prop market and you want to zero in on one player because you can know what happens. In football, there's 11 players on offense, 11 players on defense, special teams, backups, injuries, coaching decisions, play calls, refs, everything. And there's just so much that goes into winning a Super Bowl. And the Patriots have the best coaching staff ever. They're the best coach ever, and they put their quarterback in positions to win You know, every game, and the Packers don't do that. They haven't done that, and that's no slight against Mike McCarthy. I'll do that later because I don't think he's a very good coach, but the Patriots just happen to have the best coaching staff ever, and the best they, they put the players in the best positions to win ever. And again, it, Tom Brady's taken advantage of that. Matt Castle went 11-5 and five there. We saw what happened with Deshaun Kaiser. He comes in for the Packers, and it's like the biggest disaster ever. Like they might have lost that game by sixty points last night if Deshaun Kaiser kept playing. Last year, Brett Hundley played against the Vikings. I, I told people, like, I don't think the Packers will score tonight. And the Packers literally scored zero points. They, they could have gone for twelve quarters and not scored a single point. That team is Aaron Rodgers. He's relied on to do everything. There's no creativity from Mike McCarthy. They just ask Aaron Rodgers to do everything, and most of the time he does it. But it just you can't go win Super Bowls if you're one player in the NFL. And Tom Brady, um, you know, 
he's a great winner. He does everything he's, that's asked of him, but it doesn't mean he's you know better at playing the position of quarterback than the goat Aaron Rodgers is. Oh man, blasphemy! Would you, let me ask you this: If I told you in crazy world that Brady is guaranteed to play four to five more years, and you're going to get MVP level, you know you're going to get Tom Brady that you know right now. Would no. would do you think that Green Bay would trade straight up if the Patriots asked Tom Brady for Aaron Rodgers? Oh, not even close. There's no way. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is, is so much better than Tom Brady. Oh God, yeah. it hurts. It hurts the soul. I don't know, man. After last I, night, it's it, it's hard to argue. But Brady, again, when we talk about individual performance, I think we're talking about two different things. When we talk about the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, I think that it's hard because we're never going to know. We're never going to know what Brady would look like in another system. We're never going to know. You know, it, there's there's a lot of intangibles here, and that you're a lot of what you're saying is based off the eye test, which I completely you know get. You're you're coming off the heels of seeing what Aaron Rodgers is and what he means to that team. And Aaron Rodgers, to me, much like LeBron James in the, in the NBA, the most valuable player in the war, in the award is usually reserved for kind of the biggest breakout who took the biggest step forward. Um, there's certain players that could win the award every single year. And then to me, there's there's probably no, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to Brady was Matt Castle going 11-5 and five with New England because now that opens up so much kind of debate and, and is he, you know, you saw what Aaron, what the Packers are without Aaron Rodgers. But I want to get you out of here, man. You said your piece on, on Aaron Rodgers being the, the best player to ever, best quarterback to ever play the game after last night. I'm still a Brady guy, but... It may close again. You never know how much long Brady has and how much long Rogers has to chase him, but um, that'll do it, man. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time again. Uh, please follow him on Twitter at Eric sports on Instagram, NFL trash talkers, also a lineup DFS lineup provider uh, at Roto radar and the podcast cover city. Talk about the podcast, man. Uh, we talk all things gambling. Uh, I'd love to have you on. If you want to come on, that'd, that'd be great. I enjoyed talking with you. On your podcast, hopefully you'll come on Cover City, talk some you know NFL gambling lines with me. Um, but it was really fun being on. Hopefully I'll be on again. Um, you know, hey, follow me on Twitter, but make sure you interact with Christian stuff. He's nails everything on the head in the prop market, the gambling world. He, he's on top of everything. So I know you're probably already following him if you listen to this show, but keep up with him, subscribe to his stuff, retweet his tweets. Because, uh, you know, he really knows what he's talking about. Oh, man. Never had a guest do that for me, bro. I appreciate it. Again, bro, thanks for taking the time. We'll talk soon. Bye, everybody. All right. That will do it for myself and Eric Rosenthal. Again, our consensus best bet in the prop market, George Kittle over reception yards. Again, very strong play. Uh, was was targeted all over the place. I absolutely love this play as our two kind of handicapping styles mesh completely. But now, as always, let's turn it over to AG of MyBookie.ag. Again, head odds maker and risk manager to see where the biggest decisions of the house were for NFL week one and how they fared as well as the NCAA week two and where the professionals are weighing in for the week ahead. And now if you enjoyed the appetizer with Eric Rosenthal, the man of the hour, the main event every single week, that's AG, an honest gambler from mybookie.ag, head odds maker and risk manager. Let's with the NFL opening. I'm sure everyone wants to start there. Um, what was, was it a good week for the house on NFL week one? Uh, and what were a couple of the different um, biggest liabilities for the house or our biggest decisions for the house? And how did they end up for you? Well, we, it was an up and down day, but Texas A&M plus 12 really uh, filled our bag. Uh, Clemson uh, didn't come close to covering the whole game. So there was not really a, a sweat for us, but. It was a nice win. Unfortunately, then Stanford played USC and gave almost all of it back. <laughs> and then Arizona State played Michigan State and won some of it back. So it was a good weekend, uh, as always. You know, it's it's pretty rare that we have bad ones. 
That's uh, it's a little bit different. So the Westgate out here, I was listening to something from Jay Cornegie and another one of their managers out there. They had one of the best weeks uh, in basically in the history of the Superbook. If Clemson had lost outright, it would have been the most profitable day in the history of the Westgate uh, Superbook. Um, was there anything um, kind of, was it just a typical uh, kind of handle and day for, N- uh, for NCAA uh, or NFL week one um, in general uh, for the book as we talk about the weekend as a whole and we'll touch on the NCAA uh, the second week of the uh, college football season as well um, with the NFL week, week two could have been the most profitable yep correct day for, in their history for Saturday it was on um, behind the bets uh, with uh, Doug Kazarian was talking to I think Jimmy uh, Murray and he that's what he said on there I ain't buying that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't kind of figure out that I didn't know what decisions kind of would have made that, you know, it was kind of a weird thing to me. That's why I wanted to bring it up to you. I, I don't see any huge decisions um, again, outside of, of a and M for the house. But he said, if Clemson, cause I guess there's a bunch of money line parlays, of course, tied into uh, Clemson money line. Um, again, I, I can't imagine there's professionals out there laying, you know, that huge money line number. Uh, so that was, for me, was probably all recreational. So that's, that's kind of why I kind of wanted to get your, your take on that, uh, of what was said this weekend out in Vegas. I was say they must have extremely square action because it wasn't really, you know, when that happens, there's usually just a bunch of extremely lopsided decisions and, and there weren't really any that lopsided, you know, to be honest on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, the Clemson A&M game was heavily bet on to Clemson, but it wasn't you know, nothing to sweat about, at least for us. And we see some pretty square action, no offense to our players. <laughs> <laughs> I think by this time that their skin is thickened up or yeah, thickened up so that they don't take too much offense to what you say, but yeah. let's, uh, let's shift over to Sunday and what were kind of the two biggest decisions for the house on the end of the week, opening week of the NFL. And how did they turn out for you? So S- Sunday was pretty amazing. Can't lie. Like, uh, especially the later game bears, covering the plus six versus the Packers. If they could have won outright, it would have been fantastic, but no beggars can't be choosers. Uh, Then the jets plus seven versus the lions on Monday night football. Again, you know, a huge, huge win for us. And we were, I mean, we were doing good. I was heading into my vacation. I was ready to buy the finest champagne. And and then the Rams played Oakland and, and well, we drank the local beer, which, uh, which was described as cat piss on Twitter. So, so that's, sort of, that's sort of how that went for us. It's a, it's a really good analogy of how, how, how the week ended. Where they went from sh- champagne to cat piss. <laughs> come on, come on. I know you better Living than the dream that out here. Stop it. <laughs> where, um, were the primetime games. So those were the biggest decisions of the week for bigger than anything on Sunday, but, uh, the Sunday night game and the double dip on Monday night for the house. Oh yeah. I mean like the, during the day on, you know, the Sunday morning games and the early afternoons, the action was pretty spread out, but, uh, come Sunday night football, they, everyone laid their accounts on the line. Yeah. Uh, and then they followed it up on Monday night. You know, of course they had to reload them after Sunday night football and, uh, they, they went heavy onto Monday night. There were huge, huge decisions. And, and unfortunately the last one didn't go our way. Well, hopefully they're using the SGP 50 for a 50% reload bonus. Let's, that was the week that was. Let's look a week, look at the week ahead. Uh, let's start with um, anything professionals tipping their hand. We'll start with the NCAA for the upcoming week three already. Well, we'll start with our, our friends, the Pokers, who had a gr- great week last week, the picks that I gave out uh, on the podcast. I was going to say, you gave the people uh, a bunch of winners. Apparently, they didn't use them. Yeah, we're fantastic winners. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe, hopefully, they parlayed them because they didn't sweep the board. Uh, 
the tw- picks that got given away on Twitter were also winners. So what you might as well follow it up with this week with the pokers plays uh, right now, they're on Fresno state plus one and a half uh, USC plus three and a half and Georgia Southern Clemson over 47. Beautiful inside information. You will only hear on the inside Vegas podcast with, with the one and what? only anonymous gambler from my bookie. Well, now- I'm known as the man of the people, the Colin Kaepernick of Twitter. Tell him. So Preach. I, I've given I've given the NCAA football away, and now I will I will bend a knee for the people and give away their NFL plays as well. Cardinals, Rams under forty five and a half. Lions, Forty ers over forty seven and a half. Who is better than you, my friend? Absolutely no one. I don't care what anybody says about you. Um, so as we look into the, what will be the biggest decisions for the house on the NFL week number two, what are we looking at? We're, we're looking at the bills, hoping that uh, Josh Allen's a slight improvement over Nathan Peterman. Do you think that you will need a, whatever side you need on Monday more than you will end up needing the bills? Or do you think the bills will be the biggest liability all week long? I th- I think that the Bills could definitely take that crown. Right now, the action is about ten to one on against them. Yeah. Are you guys uh, uh, looking at implementing maybe any teaser protection, um, anything like that offshore? I mean, I I know that uh, as this line sets at my bookie right now. I mean, with the tease, you can get them down to, to basically a pick uh, just to beat uh, Josh Allen in his first professional start. Any talk of, of kind of moving the line or anything like that? Uh, no teaser protection. <laughs> Leave that to the professionals. <laughs> the way we like it. But you know, you know, at my bookie, we let you bet. You know, if nothing else, we'll let you bet. You know, we, you might not be able to win, but you can get those bets down. And if you do win, we'll pay you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to talk about Sunday night because I think that this is a rare kind of public underdog uh, with the Giants. I think that the the house may end up needing Dallas uh, like they need air in their lungs. Any any foresight into what could be a, a sweat for the books uh, needing Dak Prescott and company as um, maybe the opposite is kind of the public's uh, propensity to back America's team here. A lot of, uh, a lot of people I've seen are, are kind of, you know, very uh, recreational and public guys. Uh, looking to back the Giants this weekend. Have you seen uh, any type of you know different bet splits or anything like that for the other standalone primetime game? You know, one of the rare situations where we need the favorite to cover. Absolutely. Uh, every, it doesn't happen you know, often. It, it's, it is a rare situation where we want the favorite. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah, we need Dallas minus three. We need them on the money line as well. So, you know, you're right. They're taking the Giants. I mean, they did look decent in their loss this week. But the Cowboys look terrible, so it's not really surprising that people are going against it. I might play the over 42 in that game, though. Oh, AG with a best bet of himself. I, I love it. Um, I want to give you the floor, my friend, because I know you're taking time out of your busy schedule to record this. Um, and, and that's going to kind of look up, wrap up the week uh, on the other side of the counter. I want to kind of give you the floor for anything and everything, be it a tip, a best bet, or anything you want anyone to know about mybookie.ag or anything you guys have going over there, uh, going on over there at the shop. Well, me and the boys at mybookie, we were out on the uh, company yacht uh, a couple days ago, and uh, we saw a, a baby humpback whale. It's a baby fucking wheel, man. Uh, and it waved at us. Now, that's has been explained to me a fair bit of luck that I've had this week already. So perhaps, perhaps this is the weekend that gamblers can get one over me because all my luck's been used up. <laughs> Probably not, but it could happen. So at mybookie.ag, the largest, most accurate sportsbook on the web, you can come step to us because a whale waved at me this week. 
and I, regardless what happens, I'll still be happy. It's a lovely life you live, my friend. A lot of people envious of you and hate you all in the same breath as you take their money. As always, give him a follow on Twitter. You may be offended, but as he, as he said, the Colin Kaepernick of tweets, you will undoubtedly be entertained, and that is Anonymous Gambler uh, with LR. No vowels over here. Um, anything else, my friend, before we wrap up the week that was and the week ahead of NFL and NCAA? We don't believe in the letter E. <laughs> was it just taken? What's the reason for that? I got to know there's a story. 17 characters. Uh, I got it. I got yeah. It. Yeah. So I now eschew the letter E. I love it. You should implement that long term, my friend. But as always, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm sure, as always, everyone appreciates it. Um, can't thank you enough, man. We'll talk soon for next week. Yep. And everyone go out there and bet the bills this weekend. <laughs> Not saying they're going to cover, but I could use the favor. Parlay them too. Parlay them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>